The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of royal peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. World War III has never been closer than it is right now. We need to clean house of all of the warmongers and America last globalists in the deep state, the Pentagon, the State Department, and the national security industrial complex. One of the reasons I was the only president in generations who didn't start a war is that I was the only president who rejected the catastrophic advice of many of Washington's generals, bureaucrats, and the so-called diplomats who only know how to get us into conflict, but they don't know how to get us out. It's such a weird time. Here's President Trump speaking out, of course, all during his four years in office. Uh, everyone and their dog were talking about how he was leading us into World War III with uh, North Korea or Russia or whoever. Pick, pick your enemy. And this man was provoking war. And yet for four years, as he rightly points out, no war started. No escalation in war. And now you've got so many on the radical left. Again, a weird time. The communists have control of, of America's government. And now they're just itching for war, for conflict with the communists in Asia. It's really unbelievable to see this unfold the way that it is. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us for today's program. You can get to our live stream of this show at our website. Just type in the URL trumpetdaily.com. Takes you right to the TD page. You can watch it live or you can watch it on demand. You can download it to your device. There's many, as you well know, in today's modern world, there's many, many ways that you can listen to or watch this program. So Vladimir Putin spoke yesterday, and of course, there, aside from the fact that he's pulled out of the, uh, the nuclear arms treaty, uh, you've heard that, no doubt, but there's really nothing much else in the news about what Putin had to say. He went on for, I think, an hour and a half. This is from the, uh, the Federalist. It says, other than, other than that, the Russian president, Putin, declared an end to uh, the nuclear arms treaty, uh, you'll probably hear precisely nothing else from the press about what he had to say Tuesday during his lengthy address. And so it's just blotted out, I guess, to even comment on his speech makes you an apologist for Putin. But it says here, quoting Putin, the U.S. has used Ukraine to prepare for a large war. They have publicly admitted that. That's from Putin. And then the Federalist says, this is, in fact, implicit if not official policy articulated by the Biden administration. The president himself declared early last year that Putin cannot remain in power. This is Joe Obama saying Putin can't remain. Over the weekend, of course, you had Kamala Harris saying that as soon as this conflict is over, there's, there's got to be a tribunal for war crimes for Putin and his henchmen. He can't remain in power. A threat, a threat of forced regime change if there ever was one, it says Biden kicked off the week by visiting U the capital of Ukraine, a literal war zone with no U.S. military presence as if to claim the conflict is as much ours as it is, as it is Ukraine's. 
and it is, given that we're footing about two-thirds of Ukraine's defense cost. It says, even Republicans in Congress are flirting with the ignition of global war. GOP Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina said we should, we should designate Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell has declared the defeat of Russia as the number one priority for the United States right now. So this is it. I mean, they're all in. The Uniparty is all in on defeating Russia and, uh, and I guess, triggering regime change in Russia. It's not going to happen, as we know from Bible prophecy. But it is, nevertheless, as I say, a weird time in the affairs. Uh, I, I, yesterday uh, or the day before on the program, I just contrasted uh, Obama's approach in 2014 to just step back and let Russia waltz right into Crimea. And then nothing happens during the Trump years. So Trump has a point. He has, and, and the point he made in that video, I'll play the next clip here in just a moment, but he basically said, look, it, it's maintained peace through strength. And, and none of what Trump said, none of what he said in his statement yesterday was meant to suggest that, you know, Putin is somehow excused for his invasion of Ukraine. But Trump's point is that Putin wouldn't have invaded under his watch. I guess you can debate that point as long as you'd like. But this is going back to the Federalist uh, article. It says, the West is guilty of escalation. That's quoting Putin from his speech yesterday. And then the Federalist says, since well before Russia invaded Ukraine, Washington has promoted the expansion of new member nations in the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, an alliance that exists in its present form for the express purpose of intimidating Russia. It says, what started out as a warning to the Soviet Union that the U.S. would defend its European allies against military aggression is now a vanity project for both of our political parties to look like heroes by further alienating the Kremlin from the rest of the developed world. It says, and because Biden's predecessor... Donald Trump dared to ask that NATO countries pay more into the alliance and otherwise showed no interest in expanding it for the sake of itself. That naturally led to his opponents reflexively adopting the exact opposite position, that NATO is indispensable and Ukraine is the closest thing we have to the Garden of Eden. And so the Biden administration pushed for Ukraine's entry into NATO, even further encircling Russia with an alliance that he already had every reason to fear. And so Putin gets up yesterday and he says, look, it's the West who's escalated this. And uh, I think there's a lot of people, certainly in his part of the world, who agree with that. China does. And I talked yesterday about how that Russia, this is just, this is empowering Russia. A year ago, this, this conflict has been going on for a year. And remember how early on, just the, the sanctions alone were going to cripple Russia. They were going to destroy Russia. And there's Putin yesterday in his speech. <laughs> He's basically bragging that, hey, our economy's doing a lot better than they said it would. He's right. He's right. And now it's drawing in China. Russia and China in prophecy. We've got a booklet that goes by that very name. Call our operators today so that you understand the significance of these developments. This, in the end, it's going to empower Russia. It's going to strengthen Russia's position together with China. 
That's pretty significant when it comes to Bible prophecy. As I say, one eight six six. this is the 800 number. If you live in the U.S., Canada, the Caribbean, one eight six six nine three zero three zero two four. Request Russia and China in prophecy, and then the prophesied prince of Russia also is a, a must-read together with uh, the other one. Listen again to Donald Trump from his statement yesterday, clip three. None of this excuses in any way the outrageous and horrible invasion of Ukraine one year ago, which would have never happened if I was your president. Not even a little chance. <laughs> Not even a little chance, he says. No wars. No wars during his presidency. Uh, you could debate, I suppose, the two sides. We'll look at how the mainstream media is covering uh, Joe Biden's recent trip to Kiev, and then, of course, he went to Poland. But none of this would have happened. None of it excuses this outrageous invasion of Ukraine, but it didn't happen during Trump's presidency, did it? This is from Larry Kudlow yesterday on Fox Business, again, contrasting uh, what we're seeing today with uh, the approach that Donald Trump would have taken, clip four. One of the key lessons we learned from the great Ronald Reagan, my former boss, was a very simple but powerful phrase, peace through strength. Right now, we have neither peace nor strength. Now, to be sure, after Joe Biden's catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan, Biden has not launched any new shooting wars. But he is bringing the U.S. deeper and deeper into the Russia-Ukraine war. He's already spent roughly $113 billion in the past year, undoubtedly much more on the way if he has his way. Meanwhile, at home, because of Biden's big government socialism, his massive inflationary spending and tax hikes and overregulations, his war on fossil fuels specifically and the war on business in general, because of all that, we have a weak economy. The Biden slump encourages our enemies, Russia and China. And that is why I say that today we have neither peace nor strength. Biden may be chest-thumping his defiance over Ukraine, but the reality is his failed diplomacy a year ago was the key cause of the Russian invasion. His failed diplomacy from a year ago, it's a key cause. The, the, the peace through strength, as they said during the Reagan years, and as Kudlow brings out, we don't have peace, we don't have strength, we're weak. And we're, gr we're growing weaker by the day, and Russia sees it. And so does China. They're sensing their opportunity. Now, you look at the corporate media and the way that just two seconds ago they were saying that Biden's finished. They were throwing him under the bus. They, they don't want Kamala. Now, I mean, now he makes the, the, the trip to Kiev and he's another Churchill. He's right alongside the Churchill in Ukraine, Zelensky. This is clip uh, one. What would have happened if Donald Trump had been elected president? What would have happened to Ukraine? You wrote about this in The Washington Times. So, so it's pretty extraordinary because if Donald Trump had actually won the election, think about Ukraine would be part of Russia. Uh, the NATO alliance would have been shattered. So, so elections really do matter. And so I think, you know, with Biden's trip uh, to Europe, you know, he is, he is welcomed as not only, the, the, frankly, the savior of Ukraine, but also the savior of Europe as a whole. And, and, and Joe, watching that speech yesterday, all I could think of was someone that I think both of us admire. That's Ronald Reagan. Right. That was a Reagan-esque speech for the ages. And, and so I think this is really going to define Biden's legacy. Joe Biden, the savior of Europe. The savior of Europe? Wow. I mean, that, 
Tucker had a segment last night. It was on a different subject, but he was just pointing out how that when the the bad orange man arrived onto the scene, I mean that's when people's heads exploded and they really got into well Trump derangement, right? You see, if he's if he's fine to keep NATO where it's at, well then once the orange man's out of the way, expand NATO, expand it. You got to push it right up to Russia's borders. I mean, if if Donald Trump said this, it's got to be this over here. If Trump says up, then your position is down. If Trump says go left, you go right. That's that's the foreign policy of the United States in so many ways. And not just foreign policy, domestic policy, too. The exact opposite. Look at uh, Jesse Waters. This is last night again talking about the corporate media and uh, what they're spinning this into, this trip from the fake president, Joe Biden. Clip number, what is it, five. When you look back at American history, there are certain presidents who stand out as the greatest of all time. They're in a league of their own. George Washington, the founder of our great nation. Abraham Lincoln, the president who saved our country during the Civil War, ended slavery. And Ronald Reagan, whose strong posture brought down Soviet communism. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And now, as of yesterday, the media has added a new name to that honorable list, Joe Biden. The moment he stepped foot in Ukraine, everything changed. In the blink of an eye, he went from Jimmy Carter to Abe Lincoln in the heat of the Civil War. And he rattles off the headlines thereafter from the New York Times, the Washington Post, just how courageous this is, how bold it was. And it was all theater, as I said yesterday. I mean, they cued the sirens to go off just as soon as uh, just as soon as Biden and Zelensky walked near the crowd. Sirens in the back and the reporter, even from CNN, said, I've been here five days, haven't heard any explosions, no sirens, nothing. But they switched it on. What, what can you believe in this time that we're in? As far as the media, their coverage of world events, I mean, they're all in the business of writing fiction, of creating narratives, false narratives at that. So much newspeak to, uh, to quote George Orwell. This is from, here's a couple of other examples. CNBC, the Fed wants inflation at 2%, but the economy may be fine with higher inflation. That's a headline, that's a headline telling you that, hey, inflation's here, it may be here to stay, but you know, Maybe inflation's good. Maybe inflation is good for us. That's, that's CNBC. Here's another one from the Washington Post. Men dropping out of the workforce could be progress. It, it could, this actually could be a good thing. Men just dropping out, deciding they don't want to work anymore. Is that good for a, a, a strong and healthy and stable society? Of course not. Of course, it hurts. It kills nations. But there's the Washington Post to tell you that this new normal is is actually a good thing. It's actually going to help our nation. This is a tweet from Kenneth Vogel. He's he's a journalist. Trump's administration withdrew an Obama-era proposal to require faster brakes on trains carrying highly flammable materials. So you knew this was coming. Here's a story about the train derailment and the chemical explosion, or actually it was the the government that exploded it, 
that turned it into that mushroom cloud. But of course, they're going to they're going to blame it all on Donald Trump. It's Donald Trump's fault. Heads exploded when Trump showed up, as Tucker noted last night on one of his segments. Once he showed up, I mean, people got into derangement like you've never seen. You've never seen it. There, there was this, uh, well, it was kind of a left-wing version of the Pentagon Papers, this movie from a few years ago. The students watched it the other night. But just to see, just to see, you know, media watchdogs that actually used to, they, they were a little bit skeptical uh, with respect to uh, the deep state or the government. And they would report truth. They would report truth, of course. They were left-wing back in the early 70s, just like they are today, only it's much more so today. But still, now they're right in bed. (laughs) They're right in bed with the deep state. If you remember, this is back in 2018. Remember when Trump went to Helsinki and he's there with Vladimir Putin and they're asking questions about the, uh, the election and the, the media, the talking heads, were absolutely furious because Trump wouldn't side with our intel community, which said that Russia meddled in the 2016 election, and that's how Donald Trump won. And they, they actually expected Trump to go over there and to smack down Putin and to, tell, and, and to accept the fact that they, had, uh, that they had cheated, that they had meddled. Well, look at what we now know. I mean, the deep state back then, 2018, 2017, certainly 2016, Obama was behind that hoax of an intel, that hoax of an intel report that said Russia did it. I mean, you've got communists on both sides of the Atlantic. You've got communists in Russia. You've got communists here in the United States. I mean, it spreads like cancer. Herbert Armstrong was right on top of this. The communist infiltration of the United States of America. I mean, who can you believe anymore? You see why Donald Trump is public enemy number one as far as the deep state is concerned. Here these people have been exposed as traitors, liars. The, the Washington Post coming out now and saying, yeah, I guess uh, Russia didn't meddle in uh, 2016. Not, certainly not in a, in a meaningful way that influenced anything. Trump was right. Trump was right. And the media at the time said, "Uh, you're siding with Russian intelligence over uh, U.S. intelligence. Well, look at what the U.S. intel, they all signed off on covering up Hunter's laptop. 51 of them. 51 said, yeah, all the hallmarks of Russian uh, disinformation. Every single one of them lying. So here comes Kenneth Vogel. He's like, okay, even the Trump, uh, the derailment, we can blame that on Trump, too. Why not? You look at all that's happening to the United States and the, uh, just the priorities, the priorities of this, of this administration, and then these explosions, these derailments, these, these random fires. There was one in Med... This is all just from yesterday. Medley, Florida, from NBC down there. It says two people were killed and three others were injured after an explosion and massive fire that engulfed Several vehicles and buildings at a medley welding business Tuesday morning. Yesterday morning, this from Fayette, West Virginia, a fire broke out at the WVA manufacturing plant. Yesterday morning, 
a manufacturing plant goes up in flames. The Dominguez High School, Compton, California, firefighters battled a large fire that ripped through the high school in Compton and left extensive damage to the campus cafeteria. And then another one, lumber facility in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York. Firefighters were continuing uh, to battle a fire that erupted at a Brooklyn lumber warehouse late Tuesday morning. I mean, if, like I said yesterday, if it's not sabotage, all of these random fires, explosions that are happening, it's certainly an attack coming from the devil. I mean, these are scenes of a country that is dying. And, and Russia and China see it. They see the crumble, crumbling infrastructure. They see the trains explode. They see the toxic cancer clouds. They see the runaway inflation. They see the $30 trillion plus in, uh, in debt. They see the deficit spending. And they see how that the sanctions, well, they didn't punish Russia the way that Western leaders said that it would a year ago this, this, time, this time of year. It's pretty amazing. This uh, story, by the way, speaking of the bad orange man, the, the, the rounds that this woman made on uh, all of the talk shows, the interviews, New York Times, Associated Press. This, uh, this gal's name is uh, Emily Kors. Last, last night, the Fulton County Grand Jury, forewoman, she made the rounds on all the fake news uh, outlets summarizing the conclusions of the grand jury's investigation into Donald Trump's phone call to Brad Raffensperger uh, after the 2020 presidential election. They're just like with Ukraine, just like with the call to Zelensky. They're, they're analyzing, this grand jury is analyzing a phone call to see if there's some way that they can indict Donald Trump if there's some way that they can put Donald Trump in prison. And I just want for you to try to wrap your mind around how intensely interested the corporate media is in this crazy woman and her story. She's basically telling the interviewers, well, it took up so, so much of my time. I mean, I, I hope they get him for something. Evidence evidently is out the window. Do you have evidence of crimes? I sure hope so. Boy, I sure hope so. He needs to go to jail. Listen to this woman, as I say, Emily Kors. This is from CNN last night, clip six. Tonight, the jury foreperson tasked with investigating Donald Trump is speaking out. This is the culmination of the high-profile probe in Fulton County, Georgia, into Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election. That special grand jury heard from more than from 75 witnesses over a seven-month period plus. And the jury's foreperson now tells out front that there is a list of indictments that recommended in their report, and it's not short. That jury foreperson is Emily Kors, and she joins me now. What can you tell us about how many people you recommended as a group to face indictments? I, well, thank you for having me, first of all. And I'm, I'm hesitant to speak to something that the judge made a decision not to share. Well, the sections that were removed were consciously chosen to be removed. And I don't want to say I have better judgment than the judge. That's totally understandable. Mm -hmm. Stu, there are, there are indictments recommended, of course. Is it yes. more than 12 people? Is it more than 20 people? I think if you look at the page numbers of the report, there's about six pages in the middle that got cut out. Allow for spacing. 
It's not a short list. Not a short list. <laughs> More, I mean, when it comes to 75 witnesses, like, it, it, is it, it's not, I assume, of course, it's right. not 75 people. Would you characterize it as 20-ish people? I can't say I counted. <laughs> okay. More than a dozen, though, I think I'd heard you say in another interview. I believe so. That's probably a good assumption. I, I will be frustrated if nothing happens. This was too much, too much information, too much of my time, too much of everyone's time, too much of their time, too much argument in, in court about getting people to appear before us. There was just too much for this to just be, oh, okay, we're good, bye. I will be happy as long as something happens. <laughs> Well, we certainly don't want to waste Emily's time. She's put in a lot of time on this. Th these are the kinds of people the the DOJ gets together to to ta attack Donald Trump. And you go back to the impeachment hearings. Some of these these witnesses, these whistleblowers. I mean, they were they were to be revered. And here's another one. This woman, she just makes a complete fool of herself. She's going on TV. She's a member of the grand jury, the forewoman. She goes on TV to lobby for indictments. Is this for real? Are you serious? Is this how the judicial system in the United States works? Well, I hope, I hope there's something that they get him with. <laughs> listen to, listen to, uh, this is from MSNBC. Again, she's making the rounds. She's on all the shows. This is from uh, clip seven. From the former I wanted to hear from the former president, but honestly, I kind of wanted to subpoena the former president because I got to swear everybody in. And so I thought it'd be really cool to get 60 seconds with President Trump of me looking at him and being like, do you solemnly swear? And me getting to swear him in. I just, I kind of just thought that would be an awesome moment. So at some point, you don't need to hear 50 people say the same thing. Hmm. You know what I mean? At some point, you kind of start to get the gist. Sure. <laughs> That sounds like it might mean, I stress might, that the grand jurors had heard enough in other evidence from Donald Trump and about Donald Trump that they had an idea of what to expect if Donald Trump testified and that that testimony would be unlikely to change the grand jury's perception of the case. Now, to be clear, that is only one possible interpretation of what you just heard Emily Kors say. Mm, yeah, this is serious. This is for the 485th time the walls are closing in. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this, this is the bombshell we've been waiting for. Char Charlie Sykes, he's an MSNBC contributor. He tweeted last night, Seriously, this woman should not be on television. She should not be doing this. There is no upside. There's a, a left-wing commentator, an honest one, saying this is not helping to put this woman out, giggling away, hoping that there's indictments. Listen to Anderson uh, Cooper's show from last night, clip nine. I, this person is talking on TV, I do not understand. She's clearly enjoying herself. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, is this responsible? She was the foreperson of this grand jury. This is a horrible idea, and I guarantee you that prosecutors are wincing watching her go on this. I was wincing just <laughs> watching her eagerness yes. to, like, 
you know, hint at stuff. It's painful in that respect. This is a very serious prospect here. We're talking about indicting any person. You're talking about potentially taking away that person's liberty. We're talking about potentially a former president for the first time in this nation's history. She does not seem to be taking that very right. seriously. But there's no reason for her to be out talking. No. I mean, there's a, right, it's okay. a prosecutor's nightmare. She, right, okay. Mark my words. Donald Trump's team is going to make a motion if there's an indictment to dismiss that indictment based on grand jury impropriety. She's not supposed to be talking about anything, really, but she's really not supposed to be talking about the deliberations. She's talking about what specific witnesses they saw, what the grand jury thought of them. She says some of them we found credible, some of them we found funny. I don't know why that's relevant, but she's been saying we found this guy funny or interesting. I think she's potentially crossing a line here. It's going to be a real problem for prosecutors. That's uh, If you read between the lines, they've got nothing. And so the, the only thing that they can go out and do is smear Trump on, on uh, the programs, on the talk shows. And so here's the latest uh, anti-Trump poster girl. You know, all that was missing from her commentary last night was something about the clavicles and Trump reaching for the, uh, you know, the steering wheel. And yet another chapter in Get Trump. How many chapters are there by this point? But the, the intense, I mean, they're talking about how crazy this is from a legal standpoint to send the forewoman out before there's even anything issued in, in terms of an indictment. But what about the media that, that take her so seriously, that, that line up to interview her? It's from the New York Times. It says, a special grand jury that investigated election interference by former president Donald J. Trump and his allies in Georgia recommended indictments for multiple people on a range of charges in its final report, most of which remains sealed. It's not a short list. They quote uh, cores, as you heard in one of her clips earlier. We definitely started with the first uh, phone call, the call to Secretary Raffensperger, that was so publicized, said Ms. Kors, who was first identified by the Associated Press earlier in the day and told the outlet that some witnesses had arrived in the courthouse with immunity deals already in place. So the AP got to her first, and then here comes the New York Times. She's on with MSNBC. She's on CNN. The CNN host says, now I heard from one of your earlier interviews. I mean, this is just insanity. These are a bunch of children. Children that are running these, these news agencies. And they get so excited. Oh, they get so excited. If they can jump on Trump, if they can get Trump, it's just like the Helsinki summit back in 2018. <gasps> you didn't defend the deep state? You didn't smack down Vladimir Putin for meddling in the election? Look, the, intel the intelligence community here in the United States told you, Mr. Trump, they told you that Putin meddled. So you've, you're on the side of of the intel community or else you're a Russian agent. These are the lies that they eagerly spread around the world. Here, these same people who lined up to interview this woman last night, these are the same ones that covered up the Hunter laptop. They continue to cover it up, even though it's, it's now known. It's known to be Hunters. Everyone knows it. And yet they won't, they won't discuss the contents of the laptop. Listen, it, Trump's bad. Ukraine, I mean, this is Churchill. We're, we're witnessing Winston Churchill in the form of Joe Biden, if you can believe it. He's now the savior of Europe. This is an actual storyline. 
coming out from the legacy media. This is uh, from the New York Times piece. Miss Coors said she was between jobs after helping make masks during the pandemic. In other words, she's unemployed, and she's, she's complaining about her time. It, it took so much time to hear these witnesses. I hope they get them on something. I mean, look, I put a lot of time into this. Children says even though she didn't vote in 2020, she said she was insanely excited about serving on the jury, adding, this is one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me. There you go. There you go. There, there's, there's, people, there's people just like this for juries all over the country. I mean, and you, you look at the juries in, in Washington, D.C., and no wonder they've been able to throw grandma in, into the slammer for years for trespassing. What they get the Viking hat guy on three three and a half years in prison for just walking into the Senate chamber? Three years in jail. It's people like Coors who are sitting on the juries that are sending these people to the slammer for years. No wonder the DOJ can so easily manipulate the the system, given the jury pools, given the, the radical judges sitting behind the bench. What a time. The, the, the wicked encompass the righteous, just like it says there in the early part of uh, Habakkuk. This is from Vox, talking about the, the after effects of COVID, the lockdowns. It says here, the other, lock, uh, the other long COVID. It says, if COVID didn't target the young, the pandemic itself and many of the measures the U.S. took to fight it will have long-lasting effects on them that we are only beginning to reckon with. It says the loss of the pedagogical and social structure of the classroom, the, the drag of often inferior jerry-rigged remote education, the pain of losing caregivers to the disease, the epidemic of mental health problems linked to pandemic isolation, it all adds up to generational trauma that can't be captured by an epidemiological curve. This is uh, basically uh, more evidence coming in that the cure, the cure was far worse than the disease. The disease didn't even pose a threat to young people. And now you've got 12 year olds dying of heart attacks. This pandemic will end eventually, but its effects on young people will last far longer Lost education doesn't slow down children, but permanently sets many of them back. Fewer will go to college, while more may have ended up dropping out before high school graduation. One study found that the average American, the average American student could lose the equivalent of $70,000 in lifetime earnings if nothing was done to stem the effects of learning loss. That's from Vox. That's from, these are liberal outlets. The New York Times had a piece uh, this morning titled, The Mask Mandates Did Nothing. Will Any Lessons Be Learned? The Mask Mandates Did Nothing? That's the New York Times. This is a, an unbelievable story from the city. It says, More than $200 million in city-purchased COVID gear auctioned off for just 500000 let, let me say that again. $200 million in COVID-purchased gear? It's auctioned off for a half million. It's not even a penny on the dollar. That's less. It says here, 
Over the last few weeks, 18-wheelers pulled up again and again in the city of New York's huge supply warehouse in Queens to pick up dozens of unopened cartons containing what, during the, the depths of the pandemic, City Hall proclaimed would be a life-saving miracle device as known as, as uh, bridge vents. Uh, just like the ventilators. Remember that story? I mean, we, we brought you that one when it was peak pandemic, peak COVID. And city, cities like New York bringing in all of these ventilators that just ended up on the trash heap in garbage dumps. They had so many. And, but think of the industries that benefited from that. Obviously, taxpayers paid the bills. But then these industries producing the ventilators, producing the masks, masks are useless. How many billions of those were produced? I think they make a lot of them in China, don't they? Wow. Did China's economy benefit from the COVID pandemic or was it hurt by it? It says here, de Blasio's pandemic uh, medical miracle has turned into a bargain basement giveaway under the current mayor, Eric Adams. It says, with the bridge vents unloaded, unused in an auction that ended January 24, described in sale records as non-functioning medical equipment sold as scrap metal. It was just all a huge, massive amount of waste, which is exactly what you would expect from your government. Just waste. Who cares? A couple hundred million here, a couple hundred million there, 113 billion to Ukraine, nothing to eastern Ohio. I mean, this is good government. This is good government. This is what, this is what passes for good government in the United States of America. This is a sickness. This is, these are the signs of a nation that is dying. That's right. It's just like these fires that are randomly appearing all over the country. What a perfect illustration of what's happening to the United States. A junk dealer from Long Island picked up the entire 12,500,000-pound kit and caboodle for just $24,000. So he's heading off to wherever. I guess he must have a warehouse. He's taking truckloads of this equipment. He got it all for 24 grand. That's it. Fire sell prices. We don't need it anymore. We didn't even need it when it was peak pandemic. The cure is killing us. This is a stunning article, really, at, at, at the city. World War flu, they declared. We got to pull out all the stops. We've got, to spend, we've got to spend hundreds of millions of dollars. We've got to destroy, uh, you know, private industry. We've got to destroy your business, your, your, your work, your way of living, because you've got to stay locked down. You've got to put those masks on, two of them, in fact. And look at what we now know. It's very sad, isn't it, to see your nation dying. Abraham Lincoln talked about death by suicide. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. Well, there's another, another segment here or story about our declining standards in education, particularly in the big cities. Maybe I can get to that at a later time. You're listening to Stephen Florian. This is the Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to email the program, you can send uh, some comments to tdatthetrumpet.com. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. What has happened to the United States of America? The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided, weakened, radical. 
The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. Someone, something is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. Trumpet Daily. On yesterday's show, we took you through those opening verses of Ephesians 1, a chapter that Mr. Armstrong said was so inspiring and one that we should read often. He suggested the Moffat translation to just put our minds in a spirit of, of gratefulness and thanksgiving, just being more appreciative for God's wonderful gifts. This is a quote from The Incredible Human Potential. Mr. Armstrong talks about, again, this first chapter in Ephesians. He says, in chapter 1 of this letter to the church at Ephesus, the Apostle Paul gives thanks and praise to God who has blessed us, us, true Christians, with every spiritual blessing within the heavenly sphere. That's verse 3 of the chapter. We'll read it in just a second. But he says here, God had chosen us before we were born, before the foundation of the world, being predestined to be called to spiritual salvation. God has richly lavished on us his grace. He shows that, that we being called in this time, this New Testament church age, and the first to be called to this glorious grace, emphasizing that this is not the time God is trying to save all the world, but only those predestined to be called now. There's just a small little group of first fruits harvest predestined to be called now. It's all according to God's purpose. And what a blessing to be numbered among the few, to be able to bring salvation to the whole world. The whole world's going to be blessed because of this union between Christ and the church, because of this marriage, this royal marriage, because of this family of God. It says, Paul had heard of their faith, and he prayed for their eyes to be opened fully to the awesome human potential, the supreme greatness of their divine heritage. Set your mind on these things, these blessings coming out from the, the heavenly sphere. Verse 3 in Moffat says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, who in Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, Within the heavenly sphere, Paul doesn't even get into the physical blessings, and there's many of those as well, particularly here in Manasseh, 
and these Israelite nations that have been so richly blessed, even with physical abundance. All these gifts coming from God above, verse 10, just to hit a few high spots from yesterday's uh, study, it says, To order it in the fullness of the ages that all things in heaven and earth alike should be gathered up in Christ. So there, there's an order and a structure to this purpose and plan. There's a, a time order, as Paul wrote about elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 15. There's a, there's a definite plan at play here, a 6,000-year plan that culminates in the return of Jesus Christ and the 1,000-year reign of Christ on this earth. It's all laid out in your Bible. Read through Revelation uh, 11. Read through Revelation 20. Read through Matthew 24 and what Jesus said to the disciples, what they could anticipate in the years leading right up to his return to this earth. Verse 11 in Moffat says, In the Christ in whom we have had our heritage allotted us, as was decreed in the design of him, who carries out everything according to the counsel of his will. This inheritance, you see, God through Paul Elsewhere, Romans 8, 17, you can look at it on your own time, but it talks about us being inheritors together, joint heirs with Christ. We're going to be glorified with Christ. This really is God's plan and purpose. He's reproducing himself. He says that right at the start of the book. Genesis 1, 26, let us make man in our image and likeness. Verse 12, it says, to make us redound, in, uh, to the praise of his glory by being the first to put our hope in Christ. See, glory, that's the condition of God's kingdom. We're going to be born into God's family, filled with glory, with all of these godly attributes. Read about it in Philippians 4.8. Here in verse 13 it says, you, You've also heard in him the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and in him you also, by your faith, have been stamped with the seal of the long-promised Holy Spirit. See, God's serious. We've been stamped with the seal, with this down payment, this pledge, verse 14 says, which is the pledge and installment of our common heritage, that we may obtain our divine possession and so redound to the praise of his glory. That's our guarantee that the inheritance is there in the end. I mean, God's part is sure that we could certainly break that seal if we don't remain faithful, if we turn and walk away from this glorious calling of ours. But just the fact that God would give us this earnest or this token, this pledge that is the Holy Spirit, it shows just how serious he is about harvesting us into the family of God, bringing us into his kingdom where we'll inherit that glory, the same glory as Christ. Verse 15, it says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Paul said, I never, I never stop giving thanks to you uh, for you, brethren, in my prayers. He really did master the art of intercessory prayer praying for other people, you know, getting the mind, the, the attitude, the thoughts off of self and onto others who need our love and encouragement, who need our prayers of support. 
This is, as I say, a really good way to just get more into a, a thankful and appreciative attitude, studying through this chapter from time to time. Verse 17, it says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and in the knowledge of him. God is the, the Father of glory. I mean, Jesus Christ is the head over all the operations in the church. God has delegated that authority to him. But then you've got the Father over all, the God of glory. Verse 18, it says, illuminating the eyes of your heart so that you can understand the hope to which he calls us, the wealth of his glorious heritage in the saints. I mean, just think about how wealthy, how wealthy we're going to be as spirit beings. It's so easy. It's so easy as flesh and blood mortals to just look at physical things and to try to accumulate physical things and to think that that somehow is, uh, you know, your worth spiritually. God says, look, you're going to be so fabulously wealthy in the spiritual realm, roaming the universe, populating planets. How can it make a little bit of, you know, cash in the wallet or whatever? Not that we shouldn't be good providers. There's biblical admonition for that as well for fathers to provide for their own. But to just set your heart on those carnal desires, you can't have it both ways. Matthew 6 brings this out. It says, seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness. And then the other things will be added. God will bless you. It says here in verse 20, which, which he exerted in raising Christ from the dead and, and seating him at his right hand in the heavenly sphere. I don't know if I read verse Verse 19, let me just read that. It says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power? That power can work in your life, in your mind. That's the power which, which raised Jesus from the dead. And now Christ is, he's at the right hand of God. Speaking of intercessory prayers, he's there as our advocate, our high priest, our apostle, our husband, our head. Verse 21, it says, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. You talk about mighty in power, God the Father, Christ the Son. Verse 22 in the Moffat says, He has put everything under his feet and set him as head over everything for the church. As I say, Christ is the head over everything with respect to the church. But uh, we also have access to the Father through him. Christ is like the missing link. He's the one that reconciles us to the Father. You can read that in Romans 5, verses 8 through 10. But we're reconciled to the Father. I mean, we can have a relationship with our God because of that sacrifice, because of that office that Jesus Christ is now in as high priest. Verse 23 says, The church, which is his body, filled by him who fills the universe entirely. The church is the body of Christ. You can read more on this in, in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, uh, Ephesians 4. We just went through that chapter this morning in class. Such wonderful instruction. So much truth. So much understanding. And there's so few people in this world that, that even know about this. The family plan. If you don't have Mystery of the Ages, make sure that's Herbert Armstrong's final text. 
his his magnum opus. I mean, it's it's his greatest work. It answers all of life's most basic questions. What what should be most the most basic questions in life? That's Mystery of the Ages. Just call the toll-free number there on your screen if you live in the US, Canada, or the Caribbean and request Mystery of the Ages. Today, verse 1 of the next chapter, it says, And you, has he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. I mean, we were dead, but God has made us alive. We were held captive. God has set us free. Now, we can, now we're free to obey the laws, the holy and righteous and pure laws of God. Now, now we're able to align our lives together with God and his son, Jesus Christ. We can live unto God as servants of Christ, slaves of Christ even. Verse 2 says, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. See, it used to be, he says to God's people, you were just going according to the course of this world. You were just drifting right along with this world and all of its corruption, all of its criminality, all of its dishonesty and deceit the lying, the stealing, the cheating, the selfishness, the radical individualism. Just serve the self. At one point, we were just going along according to that course. Verse 3 says, Among whom also we all had our conduct in times past, and the the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's the way we were going. But now we've come out of that. It says in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, it says. For by grace, by grace you are saved. Now there's some, there's some scriptures There's a Bible passage that really and truly will uplift your spirits and put you into a positive and joyous and thankful mood. You're listening to Stephen Fleury, and this is The Trumpet Daily. We certainly appreciate you joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow.